Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, and Realtor Vinny. He, he is a rarity, I think. Something that I guess, I mean, uh, we're going to learn more about this, but a virtual uh, magician. So you do you do everything kind of like through Zoom, through technology, digital things. Something I never heard about when we but when we came in contact, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a great idea right there. Someone that's kind of really jumping into this online culture that we've kind of been forced into with kind of COVID. So I, I'd love to hear your story and love to hear what you do. So thank you, Dan, for being on here. Thanks, Vinny, for having me. So I started off at PayPal pre-IPO. I vested 13 months of my stock option and kind of said. I'm done with this. I'm out. And this was when Elon Musk was at PayPal and Peter Thiel, uh, right when um, X.com and Confinity joined together. And later, PayPal was acquired by eBay. So I said that I could make more money doing magic, believe it or not, even with the options and everything. At that time, I was paid probably $32,000 a year. And I did the math. I was looking at kid shows maybe at two, you know, you just run that, you just run the math and you figure out you can make more doing something else. Now, come last year, COVID hit. I lost 8K in one week. Wow. And I just was like, I applied for other jobs. I just tried doing things and there was no one hiring. I, I treated it like I was street performing again. I asked all my old clients, I said, can you watch a magic trick? Started realizing that this could get good and really good. I started realizing that I could play intro and outro videos. I could do illusions that I normally could not do live, like levitate, because I'd always have to look at my angles and I have to charge a lot more for it. So I, I just started realizing that this was the next wave of magic. And let me show you a quick um, effect that I start off my show with. Now, when you're at a corporation, you want to thank all your employees. So this is what I do. On behalf of the companies, I tell everyone that they are stars. I call them out by name and I let them know that they are stars on the inside. Not just for what they do, but who they are on the inside. They are true superstars. Oh, wow. So if um, you if you guys are listening right now, you're, you're not listening to the or watching the live uh, version of this, you're listening on podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, one of those platforms, use the Roar Band and at the end of uh, of this, uh, Dan, if we're lucky enough, he's going to do a magic trick for us. Um, so for the people that are only listening to this and not watching it live, you might have to go to the YouTube platform and watch it later on. But we're going to get into a story first and then go from there. All right. So, Dan, so you said that um, uh, and we're going to go have you go to uh, Dan's YouTube channel. He has a lot of stuff. Uh, on there and you can watch his videos everything like that and it's, you can see it firsthand so we have that in the show notes all his information um and we'll go from there but dan so you said that okay you were in corporate world you were doing magic on the side how long were you have you been practicing magic for you really don't get good until you start performing and taking real gigs then you take it seriously you're like does this fool people but i think everyone's into magic 
but you have to take the steps, like go to lectures, buy DVDs and go to conventions. And right when I started going to DVDs, I was just like really hungry to learn as much as possible. Um, you know, watch David Copperfield as a kid and kept on moving on and kept on leveling up my game. So how long ago was that? So you, so you said you, you watched basically David Copperfield, you're doing this stuff on the side. What? So walk us through your journey. So you're, you're a little kid, you like magic. Did you think it was an avenue for you to kind of go after to chase your dreams, being a magician at a young age? I did not know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be a beach bum and be a lifeguard. My One of my first jobs was being a sailing and windsurfing instructor. Then I was a um, ski instructor. I worked at a lot of fun jobs. I even was an uh, after-school teacher, like, um, you know, enrichment teacher at a Cornerstone Academy. But when I settled down with a desk job, I realized how much I hated it. So I said to myself, I'm going to work every day. And if that guy can do it, I can do it as well. And I, I paid mentors. I paid magicians for on one-on-one classes just to learn some of the secrets. Okay. So you're doing a desk job, right? You're working the desk job. You're learning magic, right? You're paying people to, to better your skills. Were you showing your friends and family, your magic? Were you doing on the side? Were you doing shows or is it more of kind of for your own personal gains? There were, at the school that I was working at, I had the system in place. After everyone would turn in their homework, I would let them watch the magic trick. And I specifically wouldn't let them watch it in groups because I wanted to do it 40 times. <laughs> because at that time, it was like, do as many magic tricks as possible so that you can get good at it. That was my plan. I also worked at places like Red Lobster and Pasta Pomodoro. And they would pay me like a really low salary. But I would make a lot of money as tips as a restaurant magician. I would walk home with, you know, at least a hundred to two hundred dollars worth of tips for two three hours worth of work, which was really nice to build things up. Was there a moment when you felt comfortable to do it in front of strangers' magic? Because I know, I mean, that has to be kind of daunting. I guess family and friends, you can do it, but then once you actually do it in front of strangers, you don't want you have to be good enough so they don't find out what the trick is and things like that. Was was there a time when you felt okay? I can do this in front of strangers. How old do you think you were when that happened? right when I started charging for money. Like even before that, I started doing street performing because someone told me, hey, you got to go out on the streets to do it. If you can do, make it on the streets and feel comfortable with it, you can work as a close-up magician. It, you always have to have what we call outs and precautions. Like if someone were to nail you straight on with saying, I know how it works, this is the way it works, you have to have that response for it because some, someone's going to figure it out. But if you handle it with one class, or in a funny way, people are like, wow, this guy's a pro. But so you have to know that, that what your out is. So what's how, how is, is there a generic out that you use or is it a, an out for each trick? It's an out for every trick. You oh, wow. have one or two outs like um, I know how you do it. And then so do I. <laughs> and those are the more generic ones, right? But when you start getting good at it, you start commanding the, the, the respect people most likely won't call you out even if they're thinking it because mm. it's just social protocol. But what's worse is now like what happens on YouTube. People are cloaked behind anonymity. They're, they're anonymous. 
So they're, they're willing to say, hey, I know how that works. That, in a sense, is plain rude. And you have to moderate comments or you have to figure things out as the bigger you get, the more people are going to scrutinize your trick. But I think it's more of being polite and not calling people out in public forums. And so you're you're doing the corporate world. You're making some money on the side at like Red Lobster and at restaurants. When did you feel comfortable enough to give up your your corporate job? And what was that moment? of giving up? Was there, were you scared? Were you like, I can do this? What did that feeling feel like when you knew, okay, I'm a magician through and through. That's how I'm going to make my money. Well, I wanted to quit really early on. Like okay. I, I, I wanted to quit. I was telling my mom about it and she was like, you cannot quit. And I'm like, I want to quit. So I listened to her being a good boy and ended up they were going through layoffs and they were going to, they were kind of hinting to me that this was going to happen. I was like, yes. Uh, and then I knew that I was going to get severance. So I think they gave me like one or two months severance just to not work. And I was really happy. And, but on that day, I remember people walking out and of the HR office and they were crying and in, like, the grin on my face was like big. They're like, why the hell are you smiling? I'm like, yes, I get, I get to leave this job because I wanted to leave. How, how did your, your mother take it? Because it seems like you were basically doing that for her because she wanted to look out for you. But how did she take it when you knew that you were done with that job and got let go? She was like, oh, I can't do anything about it. She was happy because I got severance and I got okay. my stock options, right? This was yeah. paid hell. Um, but it also made me think differently and that Silicon Valley culture helped me score gigs with all these clients right here. Google has hired me over 40 times. Airbnb allowed me to participate in their, um, IPO, like in this article that you see here. Yeah. And, and this was just some of the Silicon Valley coming back to me you know, just the culture. So how are you getting, how are you getting gigs? How are you getting your word out there, your name out there? Because I mean, I would assume you Google magician, right? And there's probably a lot of choices. I mean, I guess in a lot of fields, but how are you getting your name out there? How are you differentiating yourself from other magicians? Well, I did magic juggling and balloon twisting in the beginning. Then I added fire juggling, then pickpocketing. And then I even climbed into a six foot tall balloon. I'd made a table float. I, I do a lot of things that other magicians aren't willing to do, but some of it has actually become standard. So as everything happened, I'd stay ahead of the crowd with iPhone tricks and smartphone tricks, hacking into iPhones. BuzzFeed featured me and in 2016, and that really caused my trajectory of my career to really change, to be like 90% corporate. Mm. Now, as you were getting your name out there and getting business, getting jobs, how long ago was that when you basically went full time and got let go? Was that 2001, I think. Okay, 2001. What was that full transition like? Okay, so you're getting your name out there, you're getting getting interest. You had some, and I posted in the comment section some of the companies that 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 brought you on. What was that transition like of going full time? Was there any worries of kind of going back in the corporate world because you wanted that city paycheck? No, uh, I didn't want it. I was having so much fun because I was doing gigs for like Tim Ferriss four times. 
I've done gigs for John Madden, George Lucas, uh, events that were pretty epic. So I was having so much fun. I didn't want to go back. I was taking side, uh, you know, like I would call in sick or take my sick days just to, you know, gig when I was at PayPal. <laughs> so I, I was just waiting to leave. So, so you're building it up. You're getting in front of these names, right? Was it, is it, was a word of mouth or what? I mean, because uh, you have a lot of big names here. Was it word of mouth? Did you have a company? Were you doing your own advertising? Were you doing your own PR? I mean, how did you expand? How did you grow? One is just st staying a little extra word of mouth. But I also looked at one website. I don't remember which website it was. And I looked at the source code and I copied their source code. And they weren't in magic. They were in some other company and I looked at the title tag, meta tag, meta description and alt tags. And at that time, other magicians were asking me, how did you end up on the top of Google? And I'm like, um, I wouldn't tell them my, my secret. They were way better than me as magicians in the beginning. I was just doing kids shows. But as things went along, I realized that I had to really up my game and become a corporate entertainer. And But I was really young in the beginning. It, when you're young, corporations don't trust you with their entertainment needs just because you don't fit that mode. I was so skilled then, but even now I'm still skilled, but that I realized that it's not about the tricks, you know, but how you present them. So you gain their trust in like that. Is that how you basically started to get the next name, the next person? Was it just gaining their trust? And then you talk to the next person for the job saying, Hey, I did a job with so-and-so over here. Is that kind of, would happen or to be honest it's a multiple things like for example when i was at a children's event i wanted to transition and i knew that fully so i would pretend it was just a grown-up gig they'd hire me for the kids by the end of it they would be like wow i didn't realize could you do my husband's 40th birthday party things like that then i started realizing oh my positioning is incorrect I needed to look like the corporate magician and look like I didn't do kids because when I'm doing a corporate event, you can always go one level down, but you can't go the other way. Like if you have pictures of you looking like you work for kids a lot, you're not going to get the high end corporate events. Mm. So I went, once that locked in my brain, my career took off to the next level. And then I got featured in Buzzfeed, a business insider called me the billionaire's magician. They uh, featured my pivot to Zoom. A CNBC featured me, Voyage LA, Hollywood Weekly. And many of these other mainstream outlets started to feature me. And once I got those, I forgot about SEO because everyone says SEO. But when you're on the top of Business Insider and they're linking to your website, that SEO is worth a lot more. Now, I mean, the, the thing I'm trying to get to, and I know I've, I've said it multiple times, it seems like you've, You've brought, you've had the ability to take one win to the next win to the next win. And the way you, you talk about it is that, well, I had an idea, I had a plan, I dressed the part and I became that person. And I think a lot of people listening right here, they maybe they, they sell a product that they're looking to get kind of more of a luxury product. They're looking to kind of raise their clientele. Right. And, and the way you speak of it, it's like, I thought it, I did it and it became me. And it seems very, very simple how you're putting it. And so is, was it that simple of just like I had a plan and I just basically 
use the one piece and got the next piece and got the next client and get the next client? Was it that simple? For the most part, yes, there are some secrets that I'm not letting on. We can talk about <laughs> okay. me and you later. There are definitely some things that um, I've done, including just learning how to work smart. For example, you notice that in the chat bar, I put dropped a lot of links, right? Yeah. Those are keyboard shortcuts. They cross over from your computer to your phone. So when I typed in CLT, all those clients dropped in. So when I pitched people on LinkedIn, I would write PT and this would pop up. I'm a PayPal free yeah. IPO magician. When I said that to people, all the journalists picked up the phone or they would respond and say, oh, what was it like working at PayPal? How'd you make the switch? But most people don't know how to sell a hook. And then some people don't like, for example, I see them, they know how to pitch a reporter and they can have a really good game, but they don't know the one trick that will get them featured. So I understood when something happened, it clicked in my head. When we were doing the pivot, there was one effect that was so strong that I knew the journalist would uh, love it. And that ended up helping me get featured. Okay. So now COVID happens. And I know I've heard of my good magicians, I've heard comedians talk and transition from being in person, basically either being a comic or being a magician in person. Now with COVID going on last year, right, you couldn't do things in person. So you had to do things through Zoom and other platforms. How was that transition for you? I first thought of all the advantages. Most people are thinking the disadvantages. I started thinking when I started pitching reporters, well, I drive one hour to get there. I always show up an hour early. I drive, uh, I do my show, stay an extra half an hour and then I drive back. So I first started telling reporters I'm saving, um, I'm making four times the amount per hour than I used to to them. They're like, wow, let me hear more. So when they feature me, I, I didn't tell them that I wasn't working as much and I was making less. I just told them I was making four times as much. Do you want to learn why? Once they featured me, I was making more, but no one knew that. So that was kind of like the smoke and mirrors part of it. But once I started getting featured, I ended up doing 340 virtual performances, close to 340 to date. I remember doing 52 shows in one week, 12 shows in a day, eight shows back to back on the half an hour. So I was telling this reporter, you know, I cannot do this normally. The most I've ever done pre-COVID was six shows. And that was absolutely exhausting. Now it's easy. And wow. to that, that's a journalistic hook. But that just requires hustle. Uh, so, so you had these connections with journalists. You had these connections with people that had interviewed in the past. And... I mean, it, the reason, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I'm, I'm asking and I'm coming from like such curiosity is because most people, like you said, look at, oh my gosh, hey, COVID, my doors are shut. I mean, or I can't be in front of people. And instead of looking at that from you, you're looking at it, well, what is, what's my opportunity of it? Or, okay, well, hey, I can't do this, but what can I do? Right. What do I have in my, my, my toolbox that I can use and, and, get more clientele and it's it's a kind of a almost a fresh of uh, i mean a breath of fresh air kind of thing because you're like well turn a negative into a positive well i did not have connections with journalists i didn't have a lot of things i built the relationships with journalists 
So I would figure out what would they like to hear. For example, I would comment and like their tweets and get on their radar. Like, what's the best way for someone to pay attention to you when you first jump out and say, hey, I have this story for you? Or if you were on Twitter and clicking like and following them on all different social platforms and commenting on it and saying, congratulations. Like if some LinkedIn will tell you it's someone's birthday and I'll say happy birthday to everyone. But those are simple things that people don't realize that at least get you on the radar. So uh, I, certain places I'll contribute. Like, for example, there was a guy who was just, he had his own newsletter and he asked, I don't think he asked for a sponsorship, but I realized that he worked for Forbes or he worked for something. And I just was like, hey, let me just chip in because I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking these guys probably don't get a lot of contributors or subscribers. So I just one time just subscribed or subscribed to their Patreon or something. And I would say, Hey, I just subscribed looking forward to seeing your updates. And that would kind of help. I would figure that's a better thing than to like pay a lot more for corporate sponsorship for a newsletter. And then I would pitch people like I subscribe to places like the morning brew and the hustle and many other places. And I started realizing, hey, the hustle, let me pitch them. And I would go on LinkedIn and I find everyone who works at the hustle. And I mess, sent them a custom email. And I said, would you like to see a free demo? Then hmm. they ended up seeing a demo. And then they wrote an article that went out to tw 2 million inboxes because they have 2 million subscribers as a direct result of getting featured on the hustle within a that those couple five days i think i got 20 bookings wow so then i pitched another report news outlet and then i started continuing to pitch news outlets but i would tell them something like one is would you like an exclusive or the second was would you like to hear what's changed because they don't want to feature the same story again they want to feature something different so i had to either intentionally hold something back or come up with a completely different angle. So I started revealing different aspects of it. And if you could think of this in ahead of time, you're going to be well more prepared than me because I was playing it by the seat of my pants. <laughs> uh, I would tell like the reporter, the next story, like my son performs with me. He's homeschooled. This is a, a couple of things that I haven't really even pitched reporters just yet. He's at five years old. He started street performing with me. And he juggled three balls. By age eight, he was juggling five balls. By age of 10, he was juggling three flaming torches, picking pockets. By the age of 12, he was um, on national television twice. And just a couple of days ago, he was accepted into the Magic Castle Junior program. But I would see like articles about like the Magic Castle or um, something related to magic. And I would just like the article. And I would say, hey, I noticed that you wrote an article about this. Check this out. Would you like to see a demo? And it's a numbers game because once you get in front of a reporter, you're going to have nationwide reach as opposed to me pitching a library one at a time or me pitching uh, a corporate event because I can go to Google and I'd only work for Google. But if I got a reporter, the floodgates open. And wow. now I'm playing on a totally different playing field. I'm playing on a national global field because I have U.S. Malaysia teams, U.S. India teams, West Coast, East Coast. I perform for congressmen. I performed more for Google and Lyft, LinkedIn, and Salesforce now 
than I've done in the past in that short amount of time. You know, you mean you're not a magician. You're a, you're a PR director right here. And I love all these nuggets right there. So any, any person that's a business owner, I mean, there's are great nuggets, great tips that you can do in your own business right there is slowly kind of almost leveraging reporters, leveraging people, give them that exclusive, give them what's changed and, and providing that information. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, the PR guy that I, that I tried to retain, I tried PR well early on and they wanted to charge me between 2,500 to $5,000 a month with no guarantee. Mm. And they wanted a six month retainer, like continuous. So I was doing the math and I said, there's no guarantee. Why don't I spend it on Google AdWords or do something else? Because that's a lot of money. That's um, $30,000 for six months of no guarantee. I prepared for that. And I said, I'm going to learn everything about PR myself to save the 30 grand. I'm, I don't know if I should have, but I just said I'm going to do it because I was a cheapie. And I'm glad I learned about PR really early on, um, like early 2016. And when the pandemic hit, I just my PR brain just went into um, overdrive. And I, I have a couple of friends who asked me to help them with PR. And I charged, charged them like a fraction of what they would get charged from um, a PR agency, but I love doing it just on the side, especially when there's an easy story. Like if you've already been on AGT or Penn and Teller Fool Us or anything like that, I've helped a lot of people who are in my industry and other ones uncover the story and make an elevator pitch. One thing about LinkedIn is there's a limit, I think of 300 characters. So you have to be very, very concise. You have to have enough there and then a link where it intrigues them, whether you're bringing them to Google Doc or your website or Business Insider feature, it's got to be really concise. Hmm. Man, I love it. Now, <clears throat> so as as you built your business, as you built your magic career, what do you see as the biggest hurdle? The biggest is it, you know you can't leverage yourself because you're already doing as much or I mean, what is that, that the biggest struggle that you have to deal with or dealt with right now? It's selling tickets to individual shows. Corporate entertainment is off the hook. It's like very easy. I'm doing, I'm cranking them out, but when I'm doing a live ticketed show, I'm having trouble selling $25 tickets, but when you're doing a 500 or $2,500 corporate, it's, it's easy. It's just mm. doing these one, small ticketed shows, which was a personal goal. I might end up giving up on that. I'm not sure because mm. uh, I'm making so much more in the corporate world. Now, do you think that's because you're because you do virtually and there's like TV shows that you can watch for magic? Do you think there's a discrepancy there or is it not is it not the same in person? Or why do you think that disconnect of selling the individual shows is? Well, here's the one thing you've got different decision makers and people can spend other people's money easier than spending their own money. Like mm. for a corporation, it's a tax write-off. It's one decision maker. So if you impress that one person and you spend extra time, like I might do a demo with someone at Google and I do like a 10 or 20 minute demo and I talk to them there, that's one person writing a check. Yeah. And it's very easy. If you make them feel great, but you have to do that on an individual level if I'm trying to sell you. 
then you have to get your family as opposed to you already have to go to work. So, oh, I got to see a magic show. Oh, I don't expect much, but you're like, wow, this is the best thing ever. So I think there's going to be a trickle down effect. Most people have seen, to be honest, most magic shows online are pretty awful. Like I've seen a lot of magic shows and only 10 or 20, less than 20% are actually worth watching in my opinion. Hmm. So it's sifting out the garbage right now. And then right, letting yeah. people know that it works. If you're watching this live, you know, if you're watching this live again, uh, Dan's possibly going to give us a, a, a magic trick to watch probably the little bit. If you're listening to us on audio, um, go to the YouTube channel, road to growth, and you can kind of watch uh, the magic trick. Let me get one more question before we get into to that magic trick. If it works. Um, if you could talk to a younger magician, I know you have your son at five years old, and I'm not sure how many people listening right now are uh, at that age or maybe have a kid at that age. But what advice would you give to a young magician when they're thinking about getting into to magic? Okay, well, go watch as many shows as you can. Go to Vegas, go watch them online. Watch the shows and see what their character is. See if you can even figure it out, but don't announce how it works, but get to know people and then chat with them afterwards. Continue that conversation. Mm -hmm. Click like on a magician's post, but watch Penn and Teller fool us and David Copperfield. And you'll understand a lot more. The more you see from a working pro, the better it is. There's a lot of guys who are hobbyists and they learn this thing and they only like to perform the things that fool them. And then they have go down this rabbit hole Lay people are a lot easier to fool than magicians. And if you want to fool a magician, you can have a career on Fool Us, but that might not translate. I know people who have been on Fool Us who've done really well, but I also know people who have been on Fool Us who are still starving for work. Mm. And magicians don't pay your bills. And it's not about your feeling of getting amazed. You have to remember what that was when you got fooled badly. Yeah. And translate that and give that gift to someone else. I get bored when I perform sometimes, but I, it never looks like it shows because every new person is, it's, I'm listening to their reaction and I'm getting to know them. So that's how you prevent boredom because I've done some of these routines 5,000 plus times. I've done over 5,000 shows, 250 shows a year over the last 20 years. So I mix things up by connecting with people one-on-one. -on -one. Well, I think a lot of anticipation. Are you able to do a, a, a magic trick? Yeah, I can do something for you guys right now. Okay. Again, again if you're if you're listening to this only, go to our YouTube page and you'll see this uh, trick. Right here, that is the ace. Chase the ace. Okay. Okay. You're watching the ace, right? That's the ten. That's the ten. Okay. Where's the ace? middle you probably want to rewind that because the tens right there and the ace is right here i'll do it again for you right real close okay keep your eyes on the ace it's right there okay sure. if i show you the 10 and i show you another 10 you're going to assume that's the ace but i already switched that because that's the 10 and the ace is where you least expect mm. I could see how, how your, your son was uh, doing pickpocketing at a young age. 
the sleight of hands right there. And we have um, quite a bit of different types of magic that we do, including the sh uh, three shell game. Uh, I'll show that to you as well. And then we can talk a little bit more about how magic translates and what, what, what's involved. Right. This is another uh, game that is a common hustle. So the way this works on the street is they never let you win. It's a common misnomer to say, oh, they'll let you win the first time. The reason why that uh, misnomer is out there is the con man wants you to bet. Right? Mm. They think that you're going to uh, win the first time. There's no point because people walk off, right? Yeah. So this is the P. It's one, two, or three. One, two, or three. Which one is three. it? Three. Three, two, one, blast off. Let's do that again. One, two, or three. Three. And for the last time, keep your eyes on it. Now watch the space in between the shells. Okay. Two. Son of a... God damn it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you were only listening to us, I was horrible and I didn't get any of them correct. So uh, that's on me. I take all the blame for that. Yeah, uh, so it, it, it's just fun. It's not about getting... Th those are like more like sucker games or uh, cons. And I talk yeah. about that and I talk about my story about meeting con artists and everything that I tell you in the, uh, the story-wise in the shows actually really happened to me. So someone told me, he who tells the best story in life wins. Mm -hmm. And magicians are so afraid of people copying your tricks, but they can never copy your real life stories. So when I started realizing that, I started asking questions like, would you go bungee jumping, skydiving? Would you eat a rattlesnake? Would you eat a salmon heart while still beating? And those questions are a reflection of not just me. It's a reflection of the person watching because those questions are kind of engaging. And those are actually part of my personality because I've actually done all of those things. I've eaten a rattlesnake. I've gone jump bungee jumping. I've gone skydiving. And I even ate a salmon heart while still beating. But no one could tell that routine the way that I do. Hmm. And to me, then no one can steal my personality. Th there's also a thing with going to where no one else is, like blue ocean strategy. If you've never heard of that, um, it's just a business concept of going where no one else is. When you're there, no one's competing against you. If you look at the price of gold and the price of silver, gold is like close to $2,000 often. Silver is maybe $30, $40, or at most, in, I think it was like $100 or $200, right? But most people are competing against someone else. And when they can't have Dan Chan, they're going to have someone else. If you're copying me, you're only going to get what's left over, and you're going to do a disservice to yourself. So it's really more important to finding your niche and finding out what makes you different. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're going to get the same result that they're getting. Well, thank you, Dan, for, for being on the, the, the podcast, the Road to Growth podcast. Again, if anyone's listening, go to um, go in the show notes, 
We have information of how you can follow Dan, find Dan, go to our YouTube page, Road to Growth. Um, and yeah, we'll have a bunch of links in there in our in our show notes. But again, Dan, thank you so much. And also too, if you're if you want to find Dan, it's very easy to do. I, I Googled Dan Chan Magician and there was one that popped up. Actually, I didn't realize it until after the podcast. The, the first person that popped up was actually a son. So I was on the right page, but it was his son. So he's very easy to find if you Google Dan Chan Magician. Thank you very, thank you very much. Any, any last words? Anything else you want to throw out there, Dan? Yeah, you can follow me online at Dan Chan Magic on Instagram. I also have ticketed Airbnb shows. You'll see what's completely different. It's $25 per screen. So you can gather the entire family around the screen to watch the full show. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Dan. And please subscribe, please share and tell your friends. Thanks. Everybody. Thank you for listening to the road to growth success of an entrepreneur. Please like subscribe and stay connected. Visit www.theenriquezgroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group signing off.